You're listening to Future Theater Radio with Bill and Nancy Burns right here on the Dark Matter Radio Network and PSN Radio. Hi, everybody. We are your co-hosts, Bill, that's me. And, and me. Nancy and me and Angel Burns, and we are broadcasting on Future Theater Live from the banks of Primrose Creek yes. in beautiful downtown Solberry Village on Monday night, July eighteenth, two thousand and sixteen, on PSN Radio and the Dark Matter Digital Network. And our producer is the great Jackal Angel Espino. Say hello, Angel. Hello, Angel, and look at that! I can speak again. Oh, yes. it's so wonderful to hear yeah. a voice. Ah, uh, thank guest, you, thank you. And our guest tonight is the wonderful Aldous Burbank. And Bill has no idea, and probably Angel too, what we're going to talk about. I, I have bet no you. idea what we're going to talk yeah. about. Just uh, um, Aldous but Burbank tells great love stories. Love Aldous. He does. I yeah. would like to know more. He's the hippie. He's the hippie version of Zelig, I think. He's kind of shows up places. Right. He's, he's at the. Uh, he's like places. at the elbow of Terrence McKenna. And uh-huh. as you, as as he'll as he'll tell you, not Che Guevara, but who knows? Well, who's the oh oh Cesar, well, Cesar Chavez? Chavez. Uh, he's there. Aldous shows up in history, and since Aldous is kind of a brown dude, I think he would characterize himself. He's, I believe, a Mexican American. I'm not positive, but I think he is. Um, or he's Italian. He's dark, in, from the sun because he's always in the sun. He is a gardener. But I also think he's kind of a magical creature. You'll see. And I am, of course, trying to – I have an ulterior motive. I'm trying to get him to write a book. But that's a nice, good ulterior motive. And um, I want to – you know, we'll be talking tonight about a bunch of stuff. But I wanted to give a couple of shout-outs because on Belgab, Serenity was friends with one of the cops in Baton Rouge, uh, who, uh, the, the gorgeous one. He was – Oh my if goodness. You see, you see well, the three sad. pictures, they're heartbreaking. This was, this was, um, uh, Gerald, uh, Gerald, Matt, no, Matthew Gerald, Matthew Gerald. And I have collected his photograph, which I'm going to put in, um, the Skype, and then Angel will probably put in Facebook, um, once I figure out how to. How to do that? Yep. Put in, for, yeah, because here's the thing. Um, when I saw this guy's picture, my heart just melted. This guy looks like the cop that you would always run up to and ask for directions or help or whatever. He's just – and he's he's the one who – he just volunteered sort of after many years in uh, Afghanistan, I think, or something. I'm not sure. Uh, Serenity will know. So big shout-out to Serenity, who's really lost a friend. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. tragic what happened over there. It's tragic what happened in Dallas. Look, I'm a victim of police brutality. Back in 98, I was beat up by really? cops. Oh. Yeah, true story, true story. Um, I've had run-ins with the cops where I was innocent and I got beat up by cops. But that doesn't mean all cops are bad and cops deserve well, were this. You ma- were you mouthing off and doing bad things? No, actually, uh, not really. Uh, you, you have a minute? You want to hear the story? Yeah, I do. tell us the story. Uh, all right. I'm looking for that photo. <clears throat> I'm, I might cough, so... <clears throat> Because I'm still a little sick, but back in '98, I was uh, coming home from the theater. We had just uh, watched the movie. It was me and my friend Alex, who was a black dude, and um, uh, his girlfriend and my girlfriend were in the back seats, and me and him were riding in the front seat. Back then, I had a, a Pontiac Firebird, which I don't know if, if you're familiar with that car. It's a hot car. 
right? Very, very, very hot. I used to get pulled over a lot because it's a nice, you know, race car, you know. But I was literally stopped at the red light, waiting for the light to turn green so we can make a left. And a cop car pulls up next to us and he starts looking at me. I knew the cop because he had stopped me like two, three weeks before, and he didn't even give me a ticket. He stopped me because I looked suspicious, and he let me go because there was nothing to hold me. I didn't have any drugs. I didn't have any weapons. I wasn't racing. I I had my seatbelt on, so he had to let me go. He pulls me over, and it was him and and another officer in the car, and then they they had another cop car that came in afterwards. Uh, Actually, two other other officer cars came in with like four other cops. But when he pulls me over – he immediately says, get out of the car, get out of the car, and put your hands on the uh, on the dash. Mm. I'm a kid at that point. I'm a teenager, so I do what the cop tells me. I didn't even think about it, which now would be like, hold on, officer, put your gun away. Because he literally had his hand on his gun. Mm-hmm. So, scared for my life, I got out of the car, did exactly as he said. I put my hands on the dash. My friend got out, put, the, put his hands on the dash. The girls got out. They put their hands on the, the trunk of the car. And the cop starts coming over, and he's patting us down, asking us if we have weapons in the car, if we have any drugs, or anything you know of that nature. And I immediately say, no, sir, I don't have anything. We just came out from the theater. I don't know why you pulled me over. I was stopped at the, at the light. As you saw, I don't know, what did I do wrong? Mm-hmm. And he smacks me in the back of the head. He says, don't mouth, at, no mouth, don't mouth back at me. I just asked wow. you a simple question, a yes or no answer. Did he smack you with what? His no, with hand? his hand. Smacked oh. me in the back of the head yeah, with his hand. Now were I had you, hair were, back were then. You, so. were, you, were you shocked? I was very shocked when he hit me, but I didn't say anything, you know, offensive back at him. I just kind of stayed quiet, and I said, sorry, officer, and my friend who was on the other side of the car, and, again, a black dude, he looked at him, and he said, officer, what did we do wrong? The other cop came over and started hitting him with a stick, literally hit him in the back with a stick, with a nightstick, and my friend, like, went leaned over, like, in pain because it hurt him, and I jumped up, and I was like, hey, why are you hitting him? We haven't done anything. At that point, the other cop car shows up, and the other two officers get out. And they, you know, come over to the scene. One of them grabs me, and the other one grabs the other guy. And they're literally holding us down, patting us down. And my girlfriend and my friend's girlfriend are there, like, freaking out. Then at that point, another cop car shows up. Remember, there's three cop cars. Mm -hmm. They start patting the girls down and touching their private areas as they're Mm -hmm. patting them down. Mm -hmm. I look at the cop, and I'm like, hey, listen, can you stop roping my girlfriend? That's that's uncalled for. They don't have anything on them. What are you guys doing? We haven't done anything. At that point, I start getting hit by the cop. Punches. Wow. To the back, of, to the back of my head, to the uh, back of of you know my back, my uh, rib cage. My friend started getting hit by the other two cops. We were getting beat up by the cops. As this is going on, I recognized one of the officers that came in the third car because he was friends with my father. Yeah. And I looked at him. And his name was Jesse. I'll never forget this. I go to him, Jesse, Jesse, you know me. What's going on? Why are these guys beating us up? We haven't done anything. Hmm. And he looked at me. and He goes like, I don't know you. What are you talking about? And I'm like, I know your name. You're Jesse. How do I know your name? Oh, you saw my badge. How did I see your badge? It's nighttime and you're far away from me. I know you, man. You know my father. And he's denying that he knows me, but he goes up to the cops and he pulls them aside to, I guess, ask him why they pulled us over. They tell me, look, we're going to search your car. If there's anything in the car, we're, you know, we're going to arrest you. And I go, you can search the car. I don't have anything. We just came out of the movie theater. I don't know why you guys are doing this. So they search my car, which, by the way, that's illegal. Yeah, it is illegal. They can't hmm. search my car. I didn't know that then. I was a kid. Uh, but they searched my car. They found nothing because I wasn't into anything. I was a dumb kid. I was just watching a movie with my girlfriend and my friends. That's it. And again, they find nothing. So Jesse, the uh, police officer, gets them to like to back off and leave us alone. And they leave and they tell us, you know, you could leave. Don't worry about it. Here's your license and everything. And me and my friend are beat up. I had a busted lip. I had I got a black eye out of it. My rib cage was all messed up. I mean, I was pretty bad, mm. badly banged up. And my friend was pretty badly banged up also. Well, wait. Now, how 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 old were you? Uh, that was back in 1998. I'm 38 now, to the math. 
Yeah, I was a kid. So this so was, was my second car. Ago, yeah, this is my and, first. And did you take photos of your injuries? You sure? Oh have. yeah, yeah, yeah. I took photos of the injuries and everything. My friend took photos of his injury. Uh, I went directly home. I told my father. I told him what happened. I told him about Jesse being there, and uh, my dad was like freaking out. The next day, me and um, and my friend went to the police station to file a, a formal complaint, mm-hmm. and they told us directly, "Leave it alone." Don't file a complaint because next time they'll kill you. Really? That's what that was told to me by the captain of the police department in '98. In, in what? In what city? Miami. Sweetwater, uh, Miami Sweetwater. Wow. And I looked at him and I was like, "Are you wow. serious? How can you say that?" He goes, "Next time they won't hold back wow. because you're gonna get you're gonna get people in trouble." And these are good cops. I'm like, "How are they good cops? They targeted me for absolutely no reason. They pulled us over and they beat us up and they groped my girlfriend who was underage. She was 17. Mm-hmm. I was 18 at the time." Wow. 18 or 19 around there. So I told him, I was like, listen, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm coming out of a movie theater. I'm minding my own business. I'm, I'm driving safely. I have my seatbelt on. These guys stopped me and beat us up. And now you don't want me to for, you know, file a complaint? Mm-hmm. Without, the, without a formal complaint, I can't go to a lawyer. I need, I need some paperwork to prove to a lawyer what happened. And why are you for Trump, therefore? Well, here, no, here's the thing. So this happens. I mean, you know, my lifetime. It's my life's goal now to turn you vote for the libertarian. <laughs> vote for the libertarian. I'd rather vote, vote for the libertarian for the than green, Hillary. Yeah, for the green. I'm not going to ask you to vote for Hillary. I understand, but we have to not have to listen. Bill and I are from the era where we 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 rub shoulders with Donald Trump and know all the uh, publicity that has always gone along is all true. All the bad stuff is true. And just today, his ghostwriter has come out with a scathing thing. And Bill, we know from ghostwriting, Bill has been a ghostwriter. And when the ghostwriter comes out and says, literally, um, if he gets in, it will be the end of the world. He will do the nukes. He just will. It's he's so his impulse control is zero, zero, and his intelligence. Yeah, but here, here's the thing: the the uh, the counter to that is letting more Muslims and immigrants come to this country illegally. It's not going to happen. That's no, exactly what's going to happen. No, that's exactly what's okay, going to happen. Let me ask you this: it's Did you did you watch the other night? Uh, sounds like like a show. Did you watch the hmm. Turkish uprising on TV? Uh, no, I missed it. Really, you didn't watch it blow by blow. No, no. Okay. No. Some of our listeners, I bet you, did watch it blow by blow because it's amazing. It starts out, the mainstream media is getting Twitters like everybody else and they're trying to put the thing together. Um, and so you're watching Reddit, you're watching live feeds of people from the zone, and you think for a long time in the beginning, yay, yay, military coup, because they went into, a, into detail about how much we don't like this guy, how much he's, this is, you know, he's, a, he's the potential, um, He's a potential demagogue or whatever, tyrant. Yeah, but the thing is, they say that about every candidate they runs at one point or another. They said the same thing about Obama. They said the same thing about Bush. That when he no, 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 no. I'm don't not worried about me, that. No, but they're saying that this guy is in cahoots with um, ISIS, and that's the problem. That's why we wanted to get rid of him. And so there was some mumbling oh, early in, in, in Turkey. You're talking in about Turkey. Not, not Donald Trump. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, different yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. turkey, not, not, not Donald Trump, but a different kind of turkey. Yeah, yeah different, anyway. uh, different orange <laughs> turkey. Wow. Yeah, but in any event, um, I mean, okay, the, the Middle East is nuanced. History right. is nuanced. Donald Trump can't do nuance. He is a one-cell-thick sociopath, the, the guy is calling him. The, hmm. the, uh, seriously, and, and all I'm saying is vote for anybody, Angel, um, really, anybody. Anybody vote for the Green Party? 
they want everybody wants legalized pot, which is good, including yeah, the Dems, yeah. including the Dems. So we have that. But well, the Republicans don't want a legalized pot. Actually, oh, sure, they Trump, do. Trump, Trump is uh, it's for legalization. It's not, in no, the it's not the platform was anti. No, but he, he's talked about it before, and he says he's for legalization. He's he's for letting uh, each state handle it themselves, and uh, you know that's the way it should be. I think I, you know I don't think there should be just one law. Let the states handle it. I mean, it, some states maybe it's not right for some states because you know for some but, reason but, but, some listen, folks might not be able to handle that's it. The way it was before the nine uh, before nineteen thirty eight, it was right. each individual state made its own decision, and that's the way it should be. I agree one hundred percent with that. And Trump is for that. But here is the thing: look, I am not saying that Trump is a, a saint or he's the greatest candidate. In fact, here is the truth: there is no good candidates running for president this year. None. Now, you know, um, and I am agreeing totally with you. I my heart was breaking today watching the Demo- uh, the Republican convention because. I wish they could put somebody up, anybody up. So, there's so many decent and good people that could be a great counterpoint, and then I, then we would have a choice. Um, but here's the problem. People, because of Trump right now, right here, right now, people are not abiding by normal cultural rules. Trump lies about everything. So and does Hillary. No, she doesn't. No, she yes. doesn't. Yes, she lies up. No, no, Nancy, I've been, Nancy, uh, Nancy. I can show you countless videos where she is busted with lie after lie after lie. Everything that comes out of that lady's mouth no, is no, a no. lie. What you're calling lies are probably political stances that no, change. No, 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 no. Flat out lies, Nancy. So you, you just got to watch some of the videos that I, I'll show you later. We'll, you'll see them and you'll probably be blown away by them. She yeah, but, flat but out video, lies but about but things. But the videos are cut out of, out of, out no, of but, uh, no. context. No, no. You have to watch the videos. Don't judge them until you watch them. And then you can give me an answer next week. You're making an assumption out of something that you haven't seen yet. Watch some of the videos that flat out point out how she is lying. Look, I will, but they, listen, everybody, listen. look, everybody in this world lies. That's a that's a fact. Everybody lies here and there. She lies about everything. She flip flops on subjects. She she says whatever she has to say to earn your I vote, and then see, she lies. I don't see. I do not see that because you're a supporter. That's why supporters usually don't see it. They're blind to the facts. I don't see it. It's true. I totally in fact, don't. I got I, I got into it with uh, Liz Wilde, who's another uh, radio personality, uh, about that because she's a huge uh, Hillary supporter. Shocking, and um, you know. How can, and I, how can I meet her? How can we? How can we? How is that shocking? Stories. Why, well, it's shocking because radio people are mostly right wing, and they she's believe. No, Angel's being sarcastic. Yeah, no. No, well, I was being sarcastic because she's a woman. She's for Hillary. You know, oh. that, a big part of Hillary's uh, you know vote is going to be the woman vote. Not really. I, oh, really yes, really. That. No, yeah. but it's true, Nancy. It's true. Anyway, it's true. anyway, um, um, what I wanted to. Okay, so here's another. What did you think of the logo, the Trump Pence or Trumpens, Trumpens logo? The T- that is pretty funny, though. Trumpens. Trumpens. That's what they're calling the, uh, the, the ticket. Trumpens. You know, like two Tuppens. That's already changed. I think they were. No, no, they changed the logo. Did you see the dirty logo that they built by mistake? Yeah, with, with uh, the Trump sticking his tea right into Pence's right pee. Right into Pence's. <laughs> oh, it was really yeah, his tea right into Pence's, Pence's pee. Pence's pee, right, right. Oh, wow. it's bad. And then there's a a GIF, a GIF or a GIF. Nobody GIF. knows. It is <laughs> GIF. No, no, it's GIF. Officially, but, the person like who the, created the uh, the format is he came out saying it recently. It is pronounced GIF. Okay, thank you. I will use that as gospel. Yes. Yes, that I knew is, it was that is that there, is right? law now. That is law now, by the way. Jeff, you don't have to apologize. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but yeah, no, um, yeah. So and, and 
Yeah, so the, that Trump logo is now, it would be considered history, except they tried to get rid of it too quickly. It was too Tommy Hilfiger for the the average Joe, and they got rid of it. And now now uh, we move on. So, yeah. Um, I'm going to have to look that up and see if I can find it online. Oh, see, it's, look, easy, it's easy. It, it'll be everywhere. It's an up and, it, it, Haven't you seen the, the pornographic one where it's, you know, um, it's pounding through? It's pretty nope. funny. It's very dirty. Seen that one. It really but, is. Look, look, just to uh, close out this whole thing with Liz Wild, uh, I'm, look, whoever you want to vote for, that's fine. You know, everybody has the right to have their own opinion and vote for whoever they like. That's the way it is. You know, everybody has the right in this country to form their own political stands and do whatever they want with their politics. The thing that really gets me about some people is how blind they are to facts. You know, she pointed out some stuff that was clearly false about Trump and. I pointed out some stuff that is clearly true about Hillary. And she was like, no, no, that's not true. And I was like, wait, well, what do you mean this is not true? Yeah. Uh, for example, the, one of the things I pointed out was that her mentor was uh, the gentleman Bird. I forget his, his first name. Robert Bird, I think was his name. And he was uh, a member of Congress. He, he was also a, uh, he was Senator Robert Senator. S. Bird. Right. That's what and, it was. And he originally was a member of the KKK. That's right. correct. And he that is all fact. And she was like, he was never a member of the KKK. And I was like, no, Liz, no, he really was. No, was a member of the KKK. But you know what? She might, have been, she might have been mincing words, like he never was a member. Uh, you know what? I don't Who know. Who said he wasn't a member? No no, Liz, no, no, Liz, no, no, Liz Wilde, Liz Wilde. No, no, of course he was. He was a, he was. He was. Yeah, well, yeah, this no, is no, a common no. known fact, is she, and that's her mentor. Not only that, she, she. Bird no. and Thurman. But, but her mentor, because he had a St. Paul conversion, he was completely the flip opposite. Yeah, uh, but Nancy, Nancy, once you're a racist, you're always a racist. Okay, now wait, wait, wait. That, that can't never be, leaves okay. you. Okay, that so. never leaves so, you. That, okay, bring that up on Belgab right now. <laughs> Seriously, there are people in Belgab who are getting away with, or being allowed to say, Terrible things about black people. Okay, I, I don't and, have any control over Belgab. I can't. I know, but stop what them. do you do with? Okay, but but that's the thing. Do you throw? Do you really throw a racist out with the bathwater? In other words, yes, I have hmm. no tolerance for racism at all. Listen, I'm a minority. I have family members that are black. I have family members that are white. I have family members that are Latino. I have family members in every spectrum of the color of the rainbow. Okay, and I have no tolerance whatsoever for people that are racist towards anybody. Me all. too. Me too. That's just, first to me, that's, of all, first of all it shows it shows such a drop in intelligence. Completely, yes. If not empathy, you know. First, let's if, if you have, and the people who are the most racist are there's a lot of white racists, and a they lot. are Trump's. Have you seen the? And there's the, a lot of black racists too. Let's be honest. Racism course, goes both ways. There's racism. There's Latino races also. I mean, the races, racism is everywhere. Now, here's another thing. There's, there's you, a, there's do a, do a you know who against oppression? You, that's different from racism remember that right. no, I, know, you, I know yeah i mean like for example the whites have not been oppressed the way the other cultures have and so when they're saying oh the white race is disappearing well you got to get your brothers and sisters to stop loving one another if you i mean the white race is not disappearing it is it is i mean in, it, oh, in 200 it, years we're all going to be beige that's the, the truth no i mean there's an extinction event thing. going on think, among um, among Caucasians, that's just a fact. It has got the highest death rates in America hmm. in all age groups. It's astounding. Yeah, but it's self-imposed. Well, yeah, the highest. De- uh, there's suicides. It is there are drugs. There and the anger. Not- the anger level is so so. In other words, why does the, does the race, the white race, have to be on top in order to be satisfied with everything? In other words. We want them out of our cities. We, we you know, we're the ones that bring all. It, it really should be equal for everybody. Now, have you two heard of uh, Margaret Sanger? 
Yeah, the, Margaret the, Sanger. 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 Where did Margaret say that? I'll I can give, that I, 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 you can look it up on Google. Now, here's another one from her. We don't want the we don't want the word to go out that we want. To, we don't, well, let me reread that. We don't want the word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. Okay, what's the rest of the sentence? That's it. That was her whole quote. Okay, well, I will look it up and I will read. Now, this is Short, somebody that Hillary Clinton said, "I admire Margaret Sanger enormously, and I am really in awe of her." Because I believe Margaret, because Sanger did a bunch of stuff, right? Her reason for that, her reason for that, was that Margaret Sanger was the founder of Planned Parenthood, and although she basically was part of the eugenics movement of the early of the early of the earlier twentieth well, century, but she's still a racist, she, and she, she should she not mention did. her in that. She should not mention what her in that light. Did of course was of course. she was one of the first people to. Um, found an organization that actually um, benefited the health of poor women. So, yes, she had racist views. Was she views, voluntarily sterilizing she black people? in Planned Parenthood. Yeah. And so the organization itself, and that's why Hillary was saying that about Margaret Sanger. Nobody before Margaret Sanger was actually thinking about women's And also, health. what year did all this information come out? The Internet is a beautiful thing, and we learn a lot of stuff. Well, this wasn't, was this always... Just look it up on Google, but here's, here's the thing. That's all fine and dandy, but there's so many other people who have done great things in this world that she could admire and look up to. Why does she have to quote a person who is clearly a racist? But why does, Donald somebody Trump, that, why does Donald Trump have to, have to repeat uh, Twitters from the racist groups? What racist groups have he been Oh, my God. Twitter? Oh, my God. Are you kidding? You know that. And, you know and, that. and do you even know if that's his Twitter account? Because there's yeah, like 50 yeah, yeah, different yeah, Donald yeah, Trump yeah, accounts. It's his yes, Twitter yes. account. He personally remember took the, the one Jewish you, star Remember the one from, you sent uh, me, Angel? Oh, well, now, see, that's, that is silly because I've done I've done no. stuff with a star on it, and it's not no. a Jewish star. I don't yes. do it like in that regards. He took it from a Nazi site. He took it from one of the Weatherman sites. Okay. It's very different from just taking any sheriff's star side. and plunking it on your face. I don't know. This I think that's, that's a little iffy. Well, facts. that's what I'm trying to say. I'm agreeing with you that Margaret Sanger did have racist views. That's true. But she also started Planned Parenthood. She was the first person to ever do that. Donald Trump equally, and this is today, not back in the 1920s. This is today. He goes to um, a white supremacist site, a basic Nazi site takes the Jewish star over money, plunks it on um, a, um, a, Twitter, on that a Twitter message that's basically criticizing Hillary Clinton, and the message is really clear. She's yeah, taking Jewish money. Here, that's here, the message. Here, yeah, no, but here's where you guys are, are kind of wrong about this. Do you really think that Donald Trump has time to sit there on Photoshop and do that? He Absolutely. has people doing that. Absolutely. No, he, tell, he tells them, hey, do this for me, Photoshop yeah, that, and they do people, it. And then some people, idiot went on some website looking for a star, found that star, and they're like, oh, we're going to use that star. Trump himself no, no, no. did it. He said he did. No, no, no. no. Donald Trump took it. To, first of all, he, he took credit he for it did. because he's used stuff from that site before. He simply took it down and got mad because he got caught getting stuff from that particular site. Look, there are sites that wish 
all the Jews were uh, rounded up and killed again. They feel that they didn't do a good job last time. Let's finish the job. And, th- and those people are terrifying because... Oh, that's I've disgusting. Seen- it is horribly it is disgusting. disgusting. But those are the people Donald Trump is quoting. And those are the people so that are. I there's, a, there's a couple of years. Yeah, that's why it's so painful. Um, and and um, yeah, there's just yeah. It's and just this painful. whole thing about immigrants. Remember, in nineteen what was it thirty eight? I think there were uh, there was a, um, uh, the uh, the SS St. Louis. One of the ships were well, were carrying a bunch of Jewish refugees. And they said no immigrants. No immigrants allowed. Turn them back. They're dangerous. They're going to destroy American society. Most of them wound up killed in the concentration camps. So that's the mentality that you're looking at. And so, no. I mean, um, so... Uh, well, whenever you rake across... I mean, it was Ben Carson who actually, when, when the whole uh, um, argument about defunding Planned Parenthood came up, and then they went to Ben Carson. This is when Carson was still running. One of the things he said flat out was Margaret Sanger was a racist. And she was mm-hmm. because she believed she was part of the whole eugenics movement right. that grew up in the early part of the 20th century that basically didn't call for killing anybody. But what it, called, it, did, for, but what it called for was breeding. You know, it was a controlled breeding. And, mm-hmm. and that even today, you know, obviously smacks of some of the worst kind of uh, eugenics, some of the worst kind of racism, but that grew up in the early 20th century. Well, aren't Margaret the people Sumner involved with the dog shows, the, 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 the training of, you know, the breed, the dog breed shows, the fancy shows, yeah. aren't they involved with this as well? Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. because I thought that. that the people who originally bred dogs came to the eugenics people and said, you know what, why don't we put this to work and breed superhumans? And I thought that's how one of the, one of the ways it started. It and, wasn't, but but it speaking was. of which, and, and, and um, our, our guest tonight, Aldous, <clears throat> not his real name, of course, um, but we're going to be talking about this very thing. We're going to be talking about plants and how things grow and how, what that means to us and how we can, you know, what I'm going to ask him is, you know, seeing what you're seeing on TV, the cleavage in the in the left and the right, we're all fighting with each other, and the baddies are taking everything away from us because mm-hmm. we are fighting with each with other. Yep, the baddies are winning. Um, okay, so Zimmerlink, what what do you want us to stop talking here, please? With you have to be more specific. I thought, I thought this that you understand the humor here. <laughs> anyway, uh, Zimmerlink, maybe not. What is PJ? Uh, yeah, he just says, please stop, stop, please. Okay, but you got to be a little more clear than that, uh, PJ. Like, what, stop exactly? what, Jay? What do you want me to stop uh, talking about Donald? You want to, you know, to stop about uh, talking about Hillary? What do you want to stop talking about exactly? Or do you just want no politics? No poli- well, See, look, Chris, Chris Brown, I think, agrees with me. He says, Donald is so busy telling everyone uh, to do everything for yes. him, he has no time to make fa- uh, fake phone calls saying it's not him. His ego never let him do anything like that. Uh-uh, he did that. Just the opposite. No, no, we he have totally did that. We know people who know. Chris, we, we, he totally did absolutely that, Chris. absolutely verified that he did this back in the 80s. And he loved doing it. It was a known thing. We were in that world. You know, he's crazy for publicity. He's in love with what's going on right now. But I'm telling you, it should be very interesting because, I hate to say this, but the man supposedly doesn't drink. And his personality is so... Neither do I. Okay, but his personality is so tweaked, and I mean tweaked. He's so... His, his attention span is that of a gnat. 
and not in a good way. No, no nothing. No offense to Nats. There's Something no is on. And, and, and so Bill, Bill, in the guise of uh, Doctor Feelgood, gets calls. And what can you talk about any of that? Well, no, no, no. Oh, oh, the only thing is that back in the 1960s, uh, one of our one of the people we interviewed for the Doctor Feelgood book, his name was Mike Samick. I, I I can't see the clock, so I'm not sure where we are, but. Um, we're at 31, Bill. 31. Okay, so what we should do is take our break now and bring all this back. That's right. He will lift the argument. it's the bottom of the hour. <laughs> yeah. It's the bottom of the hour. So um, we are going to take our break, folks, and come back with our guest, Aldous Burbank. So we are your co-hosts, Bill, that's me, and Nancy Burns. We're broadcasting on Future Theater Live on PSN Radio on the Dark Matter Digital Network, and we will be back with our guest the great Aldous Burbank a font of stories in right after these messages so stick around all this is coming to future theater uh oh in the world. Exclusive information that cannot be found anywhere else on the planet. Trusted, connected, accurate. The UFOstore.com. Expand your personal library with fast shipping and instant downloadable information from the largest selection of UFO products on the internet by going to the UFOstore.com or call on the 24-hour, 7-day-a-week order line at 541-523-2630. The truth is out there, and the UFOstore.com has it. Put a team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with Key Information Solutions. Providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology. Preventative maintenance and networking support. Hardware and custom-built computers. Let Key Information Solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly, or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call Key Information Solutions now. 954-973-3374. That's 954-973-3374. Or visit keyinformation.com. Have you heard Mac Maloney lately? In your military career, did you ever see anything that came close to an unusual UFO sighting or... Uh, no. Holy <laughs> 
That was the uh, ten seconds. Of, uh, no, what are you? That tra- was so convincing. Yeah. What are you trying to say there? Well, UFO is an innocuous term. That's the worst fucking denial I've ever heard. And I don't know if flying Mac Maloney's Military X Files Friday nights at 11 p.m. Eastern on the Public Streaming Radio Network. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Back with our guest, Aldous Burbank, on Future Theater like on the Dark silk. Matter Smooth Digital like Network silk. and PSN Radio. And thank you for joining us, Aldous. We are really excited you could be here. And uh, I guess I have my own personal question that I want to ask, but I know that one of the fascinating things that um, when you read your material is your uh, actual plea that there should absolutely be no laws whatsoever dealing with the cultivation of plants because plants are purely natural. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think politicizing plant is the weird thing. I never understood that, and I either have not grown up or I never will because I still don't understand that. Join the club, buddy. Join the club. Well, um, what I want... I'm a Toys R Us kid. When I was reading your stuff and just getting ready for the show, I was thinking about the fact that Bill and I have returned to our roots, if you will. We've returned to the East Coast. I'm living not too far from where I grew up, and Bill is not too far from where he grew up. And I am thinking that back in... Where you're born might have as much psychic importance to you as a person, as a physical being, as the astrology people think the time when you're born is that important. But it might be that the slice of earth that you're born to, that you first put your little baby feet on, matters a lot to your whole psychic thing. So I wanted to ask you, Aldous, are you living anywhere near where you were born? No, for five years I've been living in the foothills of Northern California. Okay. And my my home is definitely the desert southwest. That's what I thought. And that that attractive effect of, is uh, really noticeable when I'm gone. I still wake up in the morning and think I'm in the desert. And it's been five years. So there's a definite kind of social displacement, even a spiritual displacement, mm-hmm. with oh, the yeah. end result that I uh, I go back home every six to seven weeks, if at all possible, just to bathe myself in the sun yeah, and yeah. make myself feel normal again or something like that. And then I come back and uh, get back to making the donuts, you know, because I'm busy and I'm in that point in my life where I can't do exactly what I want to do until I can. <laughs> well, are you living with your family in Northern California or is your family in, in the southern part? 
Well, let's see. Most of my family is here. I got my three boys living on the same ranch where I live. Uh, you know, I have two uh, adult children and one little 12-year-old boy, so I'm here with three of them. We have nice. separate homes on a large ranch. It's pretty wow, idyllic. I've got yeah. no complaints. Yeah, that sounds great. Well, oh, um, it's, it's ideal in a lot of ways. It's just not the Southwest. It's not the desert. It's not quite home, but I do love it a little bit. But at least you have water. True. We do have water. We're very fortunate to have water up here, even though we're in this perpetual drought. I think it's six years of drought now where I'm living. Right, yeah. right. Well, I wanted to go back and, and ask you about, um, we're talking about becoming a plant whisperer or becoming a shaman, and I'm using that term very loosely. Would you suggest that you have personally been on a path of initiation that you almost could wear that label? Well, anybody who claims they're a shaman, I usually think they're not. Mm-hmm. So that's why I that's got why that working against you. Yeah. Right well, do you, but do you, do you understand? Do you understand? Um, that well, okay. So, so, so then explain this. When you talk about um, uh, an accidental meltdown, when you were uh, into divine presence, when you were eighteen years old, what 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 happened there? <laughs> well, uh, to me, shamans are artists of nature. <clears throat> they know how to use coincidence like a tool. Right, and well, I've noticed a lot of that in my life. And I think it was a series of odd coincidences, including waking up in the morning and <clears throat> having this dream that this day my life would change. Mm-hmm. And it was just an overpowering feeling, not really a lucid dream, but definitely a lucid message from a dream. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, how could that be? You know, I'm the summer, I'm an 18 year old kid. Of course, my life changes every day. Uh, and at 18, you're kind of full of yourself, so I just went about my day, and this uh, particular package arrived for me in the mail that same day, and didn't really think too much of it, but somehow I knew there was something to it. Well, that package happened to contain these very psychedelic seeds, which I wanted to grow. <clears throat> I'd heard about them, and they're called baby woodrow seeds, and I knew very little about them. I'd read a little literature, so I decided to plant some, and while I was at it, I said to myself, well, you know, I'll eat a few of these things and just see what the thing is all about. (laughs) Okay. And uh, that basically was my first acid trip. Wow. And in a way, it was accidental, but in a way, it was purely coincidence, and I guess I took advantage of that and learned to start reading those signs, uh, even well, before it, it, that it, it, time, they, I would I would get like what I would consider to be messages from plants, mm-hmm. and and plants are this thing that work slowly. They're on their own time wave. They're not really caring too much about our cycle of things. And so I learned that with a little patience, pretty much every plant has some kind of signal that if you hang out long enough with it, it'll uh, it'll transmit it if you allow yourself to receive it. But there's a certain sensitivity that has to go with that, obviously. It's and, not going to happen what, in the, one day. What are the signals? What do they feel like or seem like, the signals? 
Well, in that particular case, you know, I'd had this dream. I'd had this overwhelming feeling that something was going to happen today. Like a fool, I ate too many seeds. And uh, in classical shamanistic tradition, I thought I was dying. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which is one of the the, uh, doorways to shamanism. Usually it requires some kind of tragic event where somebody almost dies or dies or thinks they die. And I was sure I was poisoned. I knew nothing about, I was like, well, okay, so this is uh, the baby Woodrow seed experience. You eat too many and you die. And well, how, how many seeds did you eat? Do you remember how many seeds you ate? Well, yeah, I do. It wasn't that many to me. It seems like very little. It was 10. Okay. So folks and- <laughs> who are looking up baby Woodrow right now, you know, what happens at 10, by the by? How long? How long? Well, you get sick. You actually do get sick. It's called the peyote of Asia, for I guess partly that particular reason because peyote is known to oftentimes induce vomiting mm-hmm. uh, before any of the psychic manifestations are felt, and you could look at that as like a barrier towards recreational, you know, facilitations mm-hmm. of right. eating these uh, fairly toxic feeling substances. Right. Well, I just didn't know that was the front end of what became uh, basically a very beautiful cosmic meltdown. Mm-hmm. And you, rem- honestly, you, re- you remember it to this day? Well, yeah. As a matter of fact, my basic problem is that it tends to be the only thing I remember. It's my ground floor for reality. And wow. I'm still wandering around this earth thinking that, plants have messages to give and if i pay attention i'll be better off well did you actually sort of put that to the test eight and when you were 18 you actually do you experience plants messaging you during the uh, trip yeah it made sense it made sense to me i thought i accidentally discovered this plant that had this particular action of sending you right back down the rabbit hole where you came In other words, I mean, as woo-woo as this sounds for me to say it, Mm -hmm. it uh, really made me just return to whatever we go to. I really did die in a way. Mm -hmm. And when I came back, I thought, I mean, this was beautiful and all that, but seriously, this Mm -hmm. is just simply the action, let's just say the software program of this plant, and my brain and my body were the hardware that that software desired to run through and as a matter of fact i believe was designed to run through <clears throat> that's the odd part i just got that oh this plant does this right and, and on, and, and, a, and on a more primitive level i think that's how humankind you know finds these medicines uh, that's right this plant is that's good right. for this how do we figure that out I, it's not always because you're smart Right, and and I certainly wasn't smart when that happened to me, but I got the message, and I guess I was just dumb enough for that. Right, and and Terrence McKenna, well, Dennis McKenna, even more than Terrence, I believe if you go on YouTube, you'll find he's done. He's a uh, a biologist to start a botanist, I believe, uh, by profession, but a microbotanist probably. Micro, micro. But he's had trips where he's gone into the plant synthesis, synthesis cycle and just describes it beautifully. And you can go on YouTube and see that. But, um, and Terrence McKenna suggests that the, the language was created by mankind to try to describe 
that mushroom right there, you know, be careful of that one because you will see things and you have to tell other people what you saw. And, you know, that's the um, uh, stoned ape theory of Terrence McKenna's, right? Right, that's what right. it is. Right. It's wrong. And it's like there's it a transfer of, of information. As a matter of fact, I heard Terrence describe himself several times as the mouthpiece of the mushroom. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. That. In a lot of ways, you know, I think that's exactly what he was. He was just this dorky kind of mm-hmm. freaky hippie dude that, you know, had studied. Uh, actually, I think his major was in art history. Mm, and was it? Here or, he is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty um, sure. And he was running around and acting like he was selling art and buying it when he was actually smuggling hash and all this and that. Right. And these mushrooms made that freaking guy smart and mm-hmm. eloquent. I mean, I know that's kind of a simplistic way of putting it, but I'm telling well, you, they uh, they conferred something upon him that most of us monkeys running around just didn't have. Well, wait, I'm not sure it was that, but let me ask you before we go back to Terrence, what, in all your years of experience and all the experiments you've done with entheogens, let's just call them, um, what is your favorite um, psychotropic plant and what is your favorite non-psychotropic plant? Oh, wow. Wow, I like that second one a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's see. Uh, first of all, I must uh, I must preempt the statement <clears throat> with saying I'm the kind of uh, hippie that doesn't even recommend psychedelics to people. Okay. Uh, I am pretty much nothing but bothered by tripping hippies. You know, just so you know, I'm a, I'm a little bit on the right wing edge of that. Of uh, these things have their purpose. Do it that way, and, you know, I'll see you later. But I certainly don't want to be clowning around with these plants. It's really kind of too affecting mm-hmm. for me to uh, uh, play around with uh, anybody who's playing around with them. I don't know if well, that makes sense, but I'm a little bit on the serious side of the thing. Right, and in, so, and, and in that vein, do you consider anything that you can ingest something that actually helps you become more spiritual, more intellectual, learn more about your mind. Do you attribute that to any of the plants? Well, so I'm a cacti freak from way back. Even when I was a little kid, I used to take uh, little seedlings, little saguaros and stuff out of the desert and bring them home to grow them. And when I caught on to the fact that uh, there's these cacti, which people use in ceremony, I mean, there was right. no way I wasn't going to go there. Right. And, what, and cacti, what cacti are they? What What is a ceremonial type? Well, there's two ceremonial cacti mainly, the San Pedro cactus down in South America, which is now fairly common mm-hmm. as an ornamental up here in the States, is a mescaline-bearing cacti. And uh, peyote is the most commonly known one here in the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh grows down in Texas and northern Mexico. And, 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 and it grows wild, like um, pot might, might have in the, in the day? Does peyote grow wild? Yeah, it grows wild. It pretty much only grows wild. As a matter of fact, uh, there's three licensed dealers of peyote still existent, you know, that are federally licensed to sell to members of the Native American Church. Ah. And their uh, receipt books come up to something like five to ten million cut peyote cacti per year 
wow. that they sell. So they're being pulled out of the wild at a pretty quick rate. The uh, species itself is endangered, and there's a whole issue there. It's a big story, but it's a beautiful plant. It's just this little spineless cactus. And to answer that first question, that is the plant that I have the strongest relationship with in terms of a teacher, I would say. That thing definitely is a healthful uh, spiritual food. And I've never seen it do anything but good for anybody. Hmm. It's not always the most uh, pleasant experience. But then again, it's not always a psychedelic experience. It can be just as uh, calming and meditative in its effects as uh, energetic. Hmm. It's it's used in ceremony for that purpose. Uh, you see these guys working with the fire and the teepee and doing things that take a lot of sobriety. Mm -hmm. uh, you've never seen anybody so sober as a Native American elder who's in his, you know, 300th peyote meeting. Uh, if you just looked at them, you know, mm -hmm. as an observer, you wouldn't think that this person is on any psychedelic. So there's something about that plant that really relates to uh, the world of humans in a very strong way. It's got a whole communal, community... Uh, kind of ceremonial aspect to it that it makes the monkeys want to hang out together. Mm -hmm. It sounds that's like pretty it powerful like right a, there. Like a, like a plant ecstasy almost. Yeah, it's not this thing where you go off into your own mind and trip out on your own junk. You're like, hey, what's going on next? Uh, what are we doing here? How's it going, friend? It's more of a here and now awareness effect. So I would say that mescaline is probably the most uh, favor-giving psychedelic in my life. And believe me, I've pretty much gone down the road with all the plants and all the chemicals. and It's been years since I've ingested anything other than a cactus for that kind of purpose. Well, does Not that I don't have an interest, it's just that I'm kind of done with that mm -hmm. because I kind of found my place. It feels like that. And and every time you um, partake of mescaline or peyote, do you enter the same exact landscape? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, it's been many years, and I'm always in a teepee with my uh, Native American family. So it's pretty much designed. This ceremony is actually designed to be repeatable. So it's in a way, if you're in a teepee and there's certain things going on all night long through the course of the, of the proceedings, it almost feels like you're always in the same place. Hmm. And in that way, it's, uh, it's like signaling. It's like, yes, I've been here before. Mm -hmm. Yes, I smell the theater. Yes, I hear the drum and the rattle. And your mind and your body kind of pay attention to that and they recall that, just like the whole uh, memory aspect of smells, you know? Well, that sounds smell like... can bring on the strongest right. flashback. That's correct. Well, right. well, so there's a lot of that in there, too, because there's a, actually a person who's called the cedar chief. It can be a man or a woman, and their job is throughout the night to occasionally put fresh cedar on the live coals to smell up the place real nice, and mm -hmm. just that little thing is enough to make you remember the thousand times that you've been in there before that somebody did that and who mm -hmm. did it and where you were. And so 
the whole thing, you know, I, I never really thought of it this way, but it really is like going back to the same landscape every time. Mm-hmm. It also sounds like a religious ceremony. Um, uh, with um, Ever since I've been with Bill, we've gone to temple at various Jewish holidays, which mean nothing to me, but we've gone to different temples. And after a while, you begin to center yourself with the same prayers, the same smells, the same, you know, liturgy. And it sounds like, a, it almost sounds like a religious experience. Certainly, it's thought that way um, for some people, right? The peyote? Oh, yeah. As a matter of fact, the TP ceremony, uh, as I mentioned before, you, you're supposed to be a member of what's called the Native American Church mm-hmm. in order to purchase the peyote in Texas for yourself, which, uh, you know, honestly, it's more of a ceremony than a church because the Native people took on the word church in the late 1800s just to make it seem like, hey, we're people too, and we worship God too, so mm-hmm. let us have our church. It was, also a legal, is, it was also a legal thing back then too. Yep, and the fact is is that this Native American church is very, it's very much a non-organized religion, you know? Uh, I've got neighbors around here who are Native American church places of worship, and they're just like any other family, you know. Nobody wears a miter hat. And nobody's special. It's just like basically a family organized ceremony that goes on around the country. Actually, most weekends. Well, how did you? How did your paths and Terrence McKenna's paths cross? I, I know you've, t- and I've forgotten. I have to. So I'm asking again because I, I I can't get the picture out of my mind of you sitting on a tree stump someplace sharing a joint with Terrence McKenna. And that seems like like a, a moment in time that I treasure that you had. I'm really glad to have heard about it because I think he's got to be an interesting guy to get stoned with, right? Oh, yeah. That guy, <laughs> there's the uh, powers of charisma, I guess you might call it. And that guy had it. He yeah. could have been a mesmerist or, you know, a cult leader. Yeah. Had he chose to, as a matter of fact, towards the end of his life, I think it was kind of rolling that way. With well, him with, getting with, broadcast with, a lot on YouTube and stuff. Well, the time zone he, thing, the time code thing or whatever it was, that kind of sidetracked him a bit because it didn't – it was intriguing, but it was said that he jimmied some of the um, statistics to make it look a little more – you know. He cooked some of the numbers. Some, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. That, time wave zero was the thing, and that was his zero, uh, yeah. answer from the mushroom when people kept saying, hey, man. If this is for real, if these mushrooms are talking to you, like, mm-hmm. why don't you bring something back we can all use? You know, bring us something, man. Throw us a bone. Yeah. So he sits well, down and asks the mushroom this, you know, and they tell him to get graph paper. So he goes and gets graph paper and starts charting out the differences in positioning of the hexagrams in the Chinese Book of Changes, the I Ching, and yeah. comes up with this whole little graph-looking thing that he inverses on itself and it creates a standing wave kind of thing and then he took that and ran with it and i gotta tell you it's in software form these days you can find it online you can use that fractal graph wave to you know map your own life chart and things of this nature and i was i was never too impressed with the whole mathematical of it mm-hmm. but the one thing that i do remember about time wave zero because i asked him one time you know in a moment and I said, hey, man, so <laughs> if this is like all such and such, like the time wave says, then 
what's like the next big thing on the horizon? Right. And this was like, uh, I'm trying to think, it was probably 89 or 90 when I asked him this question. <clears throat> and he said, well, he says the next big thing for us as a civilization, as a culture, is the, the soon coming uprising of a jihadist wave. And I'm like, wait, what? Really? And he's like, yeah, man. He's like, you know, <laughs> think of the Crusades. He's like, the up-and-coming time in human history is, is going to be resonating with the Crusades. And there's going to be a Muslim uprising. Like, no, and I'm just like, I, he already lost me. Because <laughs> at that time, nobody was really talking jihadi, you know, or... Nobody knew, we thought, nobody knew what it was. Nobody knew what it was. We thought everybody was cool and happy That's all around true. the world with our sucking their oil and stuff, you know? Right, right. right and but, and yeah. running their countries for them. So we thought that was all good, and he's telling me this, and I'm like, well, that's a little bit, I mean, I would have come up with something better, you know, like anything. Well, you know. So I'm it, just saying, but, that one aspect of what he had to say about Time Wave Zero did stick with me, and I was quite impressed as the yeah, years went did, on. Uh, did yeah. Terrence um, point to any resolution to this uprising? Yeah. <laughs> well, unfortunately, yeah. I guess we didn't get that far in the conversation, because like I say, he kind of lost me. And mm-hmm. I kind of lost interest in what I had asked. I'm like, okay, And then he whatever. died, so I mean... And, and, and this, right. is, this is 1988 or so, you say? Yeah, 89, 90, something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, that's why... Well, he also uh, pointed to the concept of the... What, what did he call it? New... I don't want to say archaic. The the new archaic. The new archaic... The archaic revival. The archaic yeah. revival, Yes. And, and I uh, think that was his basic plan for a resolution to humans, humanity's dilemma, you know, yes. is that we were going to return to some well, supposed we're gonna, elevated we're gonna, state. Right. We're going to talk to you, Aldous, because we're going to return to the earth and figure out what has it been yelling at us and shouting to us? What are the trees really saying? How can we live here <laughs> and not screw it up anymore? Um, can anybody fix it? And you know, if we want to fix it, I'm sure we can, because they do believe the answer is the mushrooms. And I'm thinking of not psychedelic ones, but Paul Stamens. Um, do you know? Have you ever followed his stuff on YouTube? Paul Stamens, the mushroom. The well, yeah, I'm actually I'm actually a friend of Paul Stamets, and he and yeah. I go pretty far back. I think we go back to '76 together, when he was wow. a poor college student at Evergreen. Yeah. Don't you think now? Don't you think he's one of the guys on the planet who does have the answers? I do think he's one of them. Um, well, see, the, he's another guy that the mushrooms made smart as hell. That's yes, what I'm saying. Yeah. Yes. And you know what? Um, okay, now let me ask you this, because you know a little about mushrooms. We, have, we live in a forest now, because we're back on the East Coast. We live in a forest, and the trees are always come crashing down. It's very dangerous. There's amazing amount of trees come down, and we just got our power back from the last one. Now, there is a tree that has produced the most amazing bright orange they're called chicken of the woods mushrooms. Have you ever right. heard of those? Mm-hmm. And I've sure, heard, yeah, I see them growing around here. Yeah, and I have heard that is as long as the the pulp is white, you're okay. There's a poisonous one, but its pulp is orange and icky, kind of almost. So the the pure white, you're you're good to go. But I don't have the courage. I brought it in. I brought it in in a nice basket. I believe the trees do present these things to the people walking by. I believe that is there for the two of us, for Bill and me, and whatever ails us might be helped by it. But I wouldn't have the courage to take 
10 seeds or one taste? Yeah. So how do you know? I mean, well, how much mushrooming do you do online and make sure you're not eating something poisonous? <laughs> well, you mentioned courage. There's courage and there's foolishness. My 10 seed thing was pretty much foolishness, just just to be clear. Yeah. And I don't really recommend that to others, but... I'm a little bit of a mycophile. I I love mushrooms. I don't hunt wild mushrooms as much as I should because, oh, I don't know. I don't feel like I'm the best field ID guy that there is. Right, and and um, you you need a person at your at your side. I think who is <laughs> you have to talk to a human, human to human. Yeah. And I kind of believe that about the psychedelic mushrooms, by the way. You know, I'm not a big fan of everybody going out and freaking out on mushrooms, you know. Uh, I believe there's there's a good tradition that goes with them, which can be very helpful and very helpful, you know. And I've seen kids eating mushrooms just because they can and just having really unpleasant experiences. Uh, and so I think there's a certain analogy with the wild edible mushrooms i'm just like a little bit cautious with them and i like to be around somebody who knows what they're doing paul's the best example of that that i know that guy knows his mushrooms i had my uh, i muted Ah, i muted you you muted and it was like dead air yeah sorry dead air great radio sorry sorry amazing radio Sorry. Well, but I was you know, you- Nancy, I'd like to, I want to reflect a little bit on what you asked or mentioned about uh, Terrence's archaic revival. Mm-hmm. I do think there's some answers there, but they're like personally discovered and not necessarily as a culture all at once. For example, the whole thing with uh, gardening. I find gardening to be just ultimately very therapeutic. Mm-hmm. And it's just about the best person, the best thing a person can do to get outside of themselves and get beyond what might be bothering them. Let's just say in terms of like societal politics. I mean, if I stayed inside all day and watched the news, that would freaking kill me as a person. Right. <laughs> I'm just right. not, I'm just not built for it. Right. So if I stay outside all day in my garden, doesn't mean like I don't have problems in life and there aren't things that bother me, but, I have a way of getting that out every day. And I'm kind of thinking that's like the happy uh, kind of compromise between being a complete stoned ape in in a tree and being a modern human. You know, we have the chance as modern humans, particularly us here in this country, to kind of design our lifestyles. Right. And I've been trying to design mine around, you know, the qualities of a garden at least since I started raising children. Because I thought to myself, when I had my first kid, I said, you know, self, you're going to have to grow up. And what Mm. is the thing that you want to leave your kids? Right. As like quality childhood memories, you know, as like a seeing their dad doing something that he has passion for. I mean, I had to have a lot of normal jobs throughout my child rearing years and this and that, do a lot of things I didn't want to do. But I tried to always have a garden that my kids could see me in and that they could eat the food out of. So in a way, that's my archaic revival. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. you know, you're going to have to, like, pay the mortgage. You're going to have to pay the rent. You're going to have to pay the bills. There's going to things that are going to happen anyway, and I get all that. 
but at least if I have like some dirt to play with and seeds going in the ground and things that I'm harvesting, I really feel like I'm having a life. And I don't know, that's just my therapeutic mode. It's kind of like my sports and it's definitely the garden has become my church over the years too. So I really believe in that archaic revival that we can actually choose without having to live at a rainbow gathering all the time or something mm-hmm. not doable like that. Right. Right. Well, it, it's what it's what you can learn by, I guess, being quiet and listening and walking barefoot outside, which I've started doing because I can't resist it anymore. Um, but I, you know, on the East Coast, you, you're not outside twenty four seven or around the around the whole seasons. It's way too cold and and creepy. But I do admire people who do get out every day and hope someday to do the same thing. I do. But I wanted to ask you, Aldous, about the the five to nine million fly maggots that you talked about <laughs> yeah yeah i made a post today on bell gab mentioning that i just threw that out there i yeah. used to be the lord of the flies um i worked for a guy who had developed a method of cultivating a fly parasite it's a little there's actually a couple of species of a wasp tiny wow. micro wasps that look like mm, it, they're the size of a, you know, smaller than a fly. What am I looking for? The word, I guess, is a gnat, you know? A, yeah. a little flying or, bug or that f- you can barely tell is anything. Almost like a noceum. Or a flea. But these, yeah. And these little things, apparently wasps have this propensity to smell in, like, magnitudes of billion parts per hmm. or parts per billion. In the air, they can smell their prey. So there's some species of wasp whose prey is uh, fly pupae. Mm. In other words, the the pupa state maggot. Mm-hmm. Maggot takes about five days, six days before it turns to pupae. And in that state, these guys can smell them. They, they, they hunt them down. They burrow into the ground, the soil, or whatever the maggots are in, mm-hmm. or a carcass or something like that. And they actually sting the pupae, and in stinging it, they inject their little baby eggs in there, and their little babies proceed to eat the fly, and then hatch out a few days later and and repeat the process, look for more pupae. Mm -hmm. So this fellow had developed this method of uh, cultivating these things, which was pretty amazing. And I knew the guy for many years. He actually called Art Bell on Coast to Coast a couple of times and mentioned his uh, maggot farm thing. So, well, how, uh, how did he how did he cultivate them out of curiosity? Well, first of all, if you're going to fl- grow a, a fly parasite, you got to grow a lot of flies. And that's kind of the creepy part. Yeah, I can. So, yeah, but how do you <laughs> how do you how do you do that out of curiosity? Well, it starts with what they call a, a laying room. And as you can imagine, it's not hard to attract customers. I mean, basically, you just got to find something that smells a lot that they want to eat and leave the door open and all of a sudden you have a laying room (laughs) so he had developed the proprietary food uh based on like some common you know fairly cheap high protein sources of things that rot quite well Mm -hmm. like meat Uh, yeah yeah basically you know it it can almost be anything but uh, he had to find like the right formula that would work consistently and these flies lay their eggs in this mash, 
And then uh, you, it's a long process of separating them out into tubs, and after a while you get really good at it, and you know, well, okay, there's 5,000 maggots in each tub, and he had a whole insectary where we would do nothing but grow maggots, and simultaneously in a separate room we're growing the little wasps, and wow. every day there's this session where you introduce the wasps to the fresh pupae, they sting them, um, we would then put them in a cooler and ship them out to people who have stables and other fly control necessities to where they'd get a, uh, what you call a subscription. Every two weeks, we'd send them new wasp babies. So wow. these wasps are constantly hatching and finding their flies and keeping the populations under control. And, 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 how, and you sent them through the U.S. mail? Yeah, through FedEx. It was like kind of like a two-day delivery system. Right, and hopefully, but, uh, if it if it broke in, in um, if it broke on the way, it doesn't ruin anything. It's not these are this is normal nature. This is not zombie uh, wasps, <laughs> which is what's going on. Right, you wouldn't even know a wasp was there. Actually, they're yeah. so small you couldn't really quite make them out. But it's pretty weird. As a matter of fact, when I first started working there, the first thing they told me is okay. So we're going to take you in the laying room. Don't freak out. Put on your yeah. gear, you know, because you put on like a little protective gear so they're not all over you. It's kind of like a bee suit. I was going to, yeah, I was going to ask about that. Yeah. And uh, you walk in there and let me tell you, it's like it gave me a whole new respect for the organism that is the freaking fly. Because yeah. when you get into a, a room with a million of them or whatever it was in there, they mm. move kind of as like one organism. Mm. it's just this thing mm. and when you pull out the food you just see them moving like a horror movie you know like some cgi script mm. in a in a wave that would actually just like darken the area it's like pretty creepy so the guy that took me in there he's like okay man so here's the thing never come in here stoned right wow <laughs> yeah <laughs> good advice so, wow yeah, because yeah. the next day, the first thing I did was smoke a joint and then don the suit and go in the fly room. Yeah, because I really just wanted to prove to myself that you know I could take it. Uh, well, um, would so, you, uh, as an experiencer of both drugs, would you say that pot is um, nothing like peyote or um, other psychedelic mushrooms? Like it's it's magn it's totally different magnitudes of power, different or similar. Well, cannabis, I kind of think of as like a stake into the cosmic. Like that thing will like prove to you that there's a lot of other things to consider besides what you've been considering. Mm -hmm. And I think that's how it's abused as well, you know, like people that don't have something going on in their life get stoned and they're like, yeah, I forgot what I was up to. So, you know, never mind. And then you can't pick up the string again. Uh, that's, that's quite but that's a bit a different. Yeah, that, that's a learned... That's learn. quite a bit different than peyote. Yeah. Peyote, to me, is more like this thing which directs you to, like, hey, dude, you know, you got to go chop some wood or you're going to freeze this winter. <laughs> it's more like that. It, yeah. like, kind of, like, tunes you into what you should be paying attention to and you're not, whereas the weed will just, like, say, hey, man, whatever you were thinking, forget it, all right? Yeah. But that can be really great for something like a songwriter, a musician, an right. artist, uh, there's nothing like weed for a breaking set. And at the same time, not to 
treat it casually because I do believe it's like fire. A little bit warms, but a lot burns. Mm -hmm. To me, there's nothing worse than getting too stoned. There's almost no worse experience. I mean, I'll almost take that baby Woodrow seed overdose, you know, again, before like I eat too much weed or something because that is not fun. Well, I've I've heard of people having, they call them green outs, when you have made an edible that's too strong and you didn't know it and you, you know, you keep eating or something like that. And that, that's actually going to be happening to more and more people as they make crazy drug laws that say. Well, as more and more states legalize and yeah. say that you have to have edibles, you can't do any smoking. Well, yeah, my, my daughter lives in Oregon and, and she, I don't think she'll mind my, my saying this, but um, for the family, she made, um, for, for Christmas, she made cookies. But they were so tasty that I simply ate them all and then, you know, found out later. Um, yeah. And then nothing happened. And nothing happened. And that made her <laughs> well, very, good. very angry. But I think it was because, uh, you know, because Terrence McKenna used to always say set and setting. Um, and um, anyway, so, yeah, so um, it, set and setting. And so I think the set and setting has to be right. But but I also think the, the stone thing is all going to change with legalization because pe- more people like uh, Sagan, like Carl Sagan, who was an absolute, supposedly, uh, he actually depended on pot to kind of help him think. I know Terrence McKenna has said that on his on many tapes. And you know from the way you described his leaping to the whole jihadist thing, he was a great historian. If you want to just have some fun, listen to Terrence McKenna. Uh, learn, find him on YouTube and just you'll learn something every time. And he's right, I think, historically. I think he's a good historian. I don't think he makes up any of his stories when he talks about John D and the Voynich, Voynich manuscript and stuff. And the Voynich manuscript, by the way, was a plant or is a plant. Right. That was a herbal, um, uh, a kind or, of a yeah, herbalist. Yeah. I mean, that's how precious this information really should be. Um, and so, yeah. Um, so, so, um, Dr. Frank Crosswhite, uh, who was he? Oh, yeah. Well, he was a wonderful man who was officially, I think, trained as a, oh, he was a botanist, but he was also a theologian. He was, mm-hmm. a, he was a enthusiast of spiritual traditions. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was just what I was needing at this point in my life when I was pretty young. And he was a professor at the University of Arizona, and I was fortunate enough to become his uh, uh, his helper mm-hmm. in operating a nursery, cactus nursery for the University of Arizona. And he and I would just sit around and talk about plants just all day long. Even after hours, we'd still talk about plants. Uh, at the same time, Frank was the biggest dude from the 50s you could ever imagine. Just crew cut, mm. always wearing the same dorky clothes. One of the smartest men I ever knew, and all he wanted to do was play with plants and talk about plants all day. And he would just do that as a profession. Yeah. It was basically his job. So I got real fortunate to learn the nursery business uh, with Dr. Crosswhite as my mentor. Mm-hmm. And he really affected me in terms of looking at what I call applied ethnobotany. It's how we actually use plants all the time without even thinking about it, whether it's like for our clothing or not to mention, you know, our food, Mm -hmm. a lot of medicines, housing, structure, uh, 
there's just a whole lot of ways that plants influence human civilization that we tend to overlook. Mm-hmm. So as a as an author, he wrote a lot about that, and I still have his collection of writings about plants here, which I re-look at all the time to remind me. Right. He was. Uh, ed- it says here he was editor of uh, Desert Plants, um, University of Arizona. Is that is any of that online? There may be some articles online from Desert Plants, but mostly it's an actual hard copy mm-hmm. magazine uh, that. People like me, total plant dweebs, still actually collect. Cool, cool. But he, he would bring yeah. up all kinds of little historical facts. Uh, uh, for example, just one of the little stories I'm remembering right now is this crazy aspect of cacti, which is commonly overlooked in uh, terms of dying. There's a there's a insect that lives on the paddle cactus in the southwest, that really makes the cacti look ratty when they're infesting it. It, right. it gives it this white, cottony look, like somebody left Kleenex on the cactus and it weathered away, and it looks really weird. But when you go and touch that stuff, it turns purple, like royal purple. Mm-hmm. So way back in the when, when uh, I guess it was back when conquistadors were exploring the Southwest, they discovered that this could be used to dye clothing purple. Ah. And that became a huge industry, meaning they would make the native people collect the cochineal, which is the name of this insect, right, and they right, would right, uh, right, right. ship it to the old world for, I don't know, the value was, you know, actually, in terms of gold value, it was equivalent, at least. Mm-hmm. So it was like striking gold, and it was just covering the cacti everywhere. Mm-hmm. And that was like a major industry in the Southwest. And and what did I mean? Um, did what le- what remained of the cactus? It was ruined by this by this insect. <clears throat> no, actually, it's not affected at all in any way that you can t- tell. It doesn't actually kill the, the plant, mm. and so when it's harvested, it can be reharvested again. You know, a few months later from the same plant, but it takes a lot of wandering around in the hot desert, and scraping off little white purple stuff off the cacti. You know, you. It's hard to make an industry unless you have slaves out of that thing, right? And I and we all know about purple, royal purple. It's um, you know um, there are certain colors that are valuable. That's one of them. Um, but I wanted to kind of segue and get into the real Don Juan because that is something that. Uh, do, wait, have I lost anybody? I lost. No, you're still here. Okay, the real Don Juan because we all read the books we and all now grew we're up all on Carlos we're all told that it's all made up. Well, you know, I grew up in that area where the Castaneda stories went down. Right. And, uh, you know, from Carlos first meeting the old man in the Bisbee bus station or Nogales, whichever it was, and this was all my turfs. And not only that, but I grew up with and among Yaqui people, mm-hmm. which uh, Don Juan supposedly was. Right. Uh, and those stories are quite powerful to me. Just in well, terms of stories, but I don't necessarily go by the anthropology of it one little tiny bit. It's definitely not Yaki anthropology. Well, what, oh, well, it, what is it? It's pretty cool, uh, kind of heaped up mystical mystical experience 
like distilling everything that was going on in the early 60s all into these stories of Native America, which I think people were craving, yeah. especially college-age people were just wanting something that wasn't normal America, I think, and that was perfect for the time. Yeah. But when the first when the first Carlos Castaneda books came out, yeah. I have to tell you that was that was it opened up an entirely new world. This would have been in the late 60s. Yeah, it affected me a lot in terms of the stories of it and here I was living where this was supposedly going on around me, by the way. So, my ears were perked up and I knew people who knew people who claimed to know these people, you know, the Nagual's party and this and that. Mm-hmm. I was kind of a fan of that it was going on while it was going on. But to fast forward real quick, here's an interesting aspect of Castaneda, which I really am still kind of taken with. And that is like the weird cult that grew up around him toward right. the end of his life. I have right. heard about Oh, my this. God. If you check that out. Now, that is weird as anything. I mean, here's the basic take on that, is that he writes these people into these books, and they're actual people. Right. And these people start believing that they're the people that he's writing about in the books, and that they're on this journey to um, burn with the fire from within so that your body actually doesn't die and you leave as a eight-person Nagual's party unit. You leave this creation. Well, these people got so into the story that they were written into that they could no longer self-identify as the people they were before. And in fact, when Castaneda died, and so therefore the story wasn't true, I mean, several of these people apparently committed suicide. Right. I've w- heard about women, and that. Women. And the rest of them didn't fare that well from what I can tell. And to me, this was like a super dark, creepy cult of total control by Castaneda. And it's either that, or he was such a powerful magician that this is all bullshit, and they actually did accomplish their mission. If you read the books, it's hard to tell which it actually is. So after a lot of consideration, I've come down to, yeah, he was a really dark bastard, you know? Well, but only, only at That's the, a only very at... powerful thing, that yeah. you can get people to actually believe this story so much that, like, in a Jim Jones kind of way, they actually go for it. But that here's in the, itself is an incredible story. Kind of weird. But this started out as he was doing his dissertation as a graduate student. It started out pretty much as ethnobotany, you know? Yeah. Uh, right, but, 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 but that syndrome of uh, what you just described, people actually believing the story, Bill and I have done work with different writers over the last 35 years. And sometimes, Corso, for example, uh, when you ghostwrite a book, or Nori even, um, I was hoping it would work on Nori. That's why uh, you know, I, I was heavily behind the let's call it Worker in the Light because I always thought Nori, having the helm of that really major show, kind of needed to know, see that? Exactly that. Go to the light side, not the dark side. And I just thought, if, if that's his biography... Oh, well, that was you. <laughs> no, that wasn't me. I don't know what the heck that was. But... Oh, wow, that was scary. But I am your father. No. Yeah. 
Well, yeah. And, um, I, and so I think Castaneda, that stuff happened toward the end of his life. But here's the thing. That's the point I was making earlier about Trump. His ghostwriter is saying, and, and you guys ought to read this article. I can put it up so you can all grab oh, yeah, it. Yeah, you should put it put up. It up. It's really cool. He's saying that, of course, Trump never wrote one single word of it. But most importantly, it's not really true about the deals either. He made a fantasy Donald Trump. Donald Trump now lives and inhabits that fantasy. That's what's so scary. That's why this guy and, – and, and as Bill's been a ghostwriter, I've not. I've been asked, but I couldn't do it. It's way too hard. Um, it, it's instructive to listen to this guy, what he's saying about Donald Trump. So I'm just hoping that Donald Trump does not win. That's a big hope of mine because I'm worried. Actually. Well, that's an interesting analogy. I mean the story becomes more popular than the reality. Yes. Like, well, for yeah, well, example, the reality was that Carlos had liver cancer. Right. And so these people believing he's in the Gual and has it all under control, you know, they basically let the guy die. Right. Like Steve Jobs, yeah. basically. In other words, they, like. they, Steve Jobs kind of, many people feel his, his, some of his craziness is what kept him from getting treatment early enough. And uh, people around him just when, when someone's very charismatic. But pancre- yeah, yes, but man. the problem is that Steve Jobs had pancreatic cancer, and pancreatic right, but he, but cancer he supposedly, is. And and Aldous would know if this is a true thing. He supposedly brought it on himself by eating nothing but fruit and nuts for a long time. He was a fruitarian, and if you guys uh, think fruitarian is strange, get out of Dodge. That gives you pancreatic cancer. Supposedly, it's, it, it, it imbalances your sugar so badly. Fruit is all sugar. But there's also a group of people, and, and Angel, you could find this out for yourself if you don't already know this, called breatharians. And they believe they don't need any food to survive. They just need to, every single morning, look directly into the rising sun for an instant. Get it into your iris. Let me guess. That, there's not a whole lot of these folks around because they die off pretty quick. Well, there have been um, there have been some con artists who have pretended to be, but it is it is a it is something else. I don't know, Aldous, if you've ever heard of breatharians, but that's as, yeah, that's I, as credible as the flat earthers, I think, Nancy. That's I actually do know a breatharian who actually died, by the way. So there's yeah. that too. <laughs> yeah, duh. That's was, was very good don't eat and look at the sun all day. That's gonna yeah, good job. Well, I wonder about the sun, and I wonder, especially being on the East Coast now, because I lived on the West Coast for 20 years, 19 years, um, I really love the sun, and I believe the sun must make lots of vitamin D in certain kinds of people. I feel trillion times better in the summer with the sun than the winter, just saying. And uh, Oh, I'm guys- a big sun fan. I believe it feeds me to a certain extent, but, you know, I yeah. like food, too. Yeah. So there's a certain balance there. Yeah, I'm a food um, guy. I'm a, food, know, I'm a foodarian myself. I, I foodarian. Food. <laughs> yes, that's me. You know, uh, the thing you said about the real Don Juan, you know, going over the Carlos thing, I do, I do believe there are real Don Juans, by the way. It's just that Carlos made a business and a career out of, like, claiming he had met one. Why do you believe that they really nice. Why do you believe they really exist? Well, because they do, and I've met some, uh, they do exist. There's a lot of old people that have a whole different worldview, which you just got to consider shamanistic. Like I was saying, uh, shamans are really just artists of nature paying attention to coincidence and using it as their tool. So as much as it's a little bit weird, you know, with our advanced medical technique, I've seen a lot of 
amazing healings go on just because somebody believed this guy could help them. And I'm not saying it was anything more than that. Mm-hmm. I think of it as like uh, siphoning gas out of a vehicle or something. You know, you suck on that thing a little bit. Pretty soon the gas flows by itself. Mm-hmm. So there's some very charismatic individuals in this world that know how to create the proper ceremonial space where a person can get better from certain things. Sometimes it's physical. Sometimes it's psychological. But, uh, but Don it's, Juan's but it's, like but that it's, do exist. Yeah, yeah, but it's always psychological at the end of the day. It, it has to be at the end of the day to start with. I mean, you made people who've been through serious things um, believe that the psychology is a big part of it, that they learn that they're on a journey. Um, um, do you fear death, Aldous? Well, yeah, I'm normal, and I guess I do because I fear, like, not finishing things. Mm-hmm. But I would say since I was 18 years old and I accidentally ate too much seeds, I'm not too worried about it. It's what I fear is not getting stuff done at the end of the day here. I mean, every evening is that same feeling. What did I get done today? Right. What do I need to do tomorrow? And if there's no tomorrow, I still got this list of things left undone. Right. So that's that's a little bit like fear. But the thing itself doesn't seem to be that big of an issue. I've, uh, you know, seen a lot of people who don't seem to have much of a life. That's just by my point of view. And when you have like a full life, I think you kind of like are ready to go at any time. There's there's something about that that I really I, believe in. I, and, no, no, I totally disagree. <laughs> Seriously, the older I get, <clears throat> the more I'm frustrated by the unfairness, as I said to you earlier, of we only get about 100 years, maybe 111. If you're lucky, Nancy. Yeah, yeah, and that's the if thing. If you're really I mean, lucky. But looking back now at how quickly that 100 years passes and how much I'm negotiating with my own self, I'm going to be 70. Um, uh, I'm negotiating, can I get 30 more years? Because 30 feels like enough of a mystery number. 20 years, I can remember 20 years ago really easily now. 20 years goes by really too fast. And and it's who laughs at us and gives us this uh, very limited lifespan. And in all of your travels, all this, and learning of stuff, have you ever heard about or thought about immortality? Is there any secret, you know, the tree of life is where I was going here, instead of the tree of knowledge? Um, do you think such a thing exists? Do you think maybe we can get more than 100 years out of it? Well, mm-hmm. I'm kind of like Chauncey the gardener yeah. uh, from being there on right. acid. Yeah. Yeah. And so from being a gardener, I know this cycle of like, oh, I got these beautiful plants. So guess what? It's November. They're dying. Okay, well, time to gather some seeds so you can do this again. Right. And right, right, I think right. there's a lot to that. I think that is my lesson about living and dying. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I also, from the ceremonies that I partake in, I do believe in very much a non-woo-woo way that somehow our ancestors are still present. Ah, what do so, you mean? Reincarnation you know, or just, spirit-wise? In what, in what form? I'm just, yeah. I'm just saying they're present, and I don't even know that I can tell you where they are. It's possibly just one of these dimensions we're not paying attention to. But I've seen too many things go down, not in terms of, like, seeing a ghost, but in 
ancestors, you know, there are ceremonies, by the way, uh, here in North America, certain traditions, uh, starting with the sweat lodge and others, where the, the spirit of the ancestor is actually part of the ceremony. Oh. Invoking them, you know, invites them. Wow. And uh, the ceremonies I attend, for example, here's just one example. We've all lost people that we love, you know? Mm-hmm. A lot of us have uh, lost our parents. A lot of us have lost our children and loved ones, yep. basically. Well, not to forget them. So in these ceremonies in the morning, one of the things we do is uh, when food comes around, the first food is taken outside, just left to nature, and in that way, you're recognizing a lot like what uh, Mexican people do on the Day of the Dead, that your ancestors are still with you. We know they don't come by in a body and eat this food. We know, like, it's going to be the animals outside that, mm-hmm. you know, take that food and the ants are going to partake of it. Birds are going to come by. Well, so to me, that's our ancestors being around. Mm-hmm. It's, well, uh, um, what, describe it's what you symbolic, mean by... Yeah. but it's actually quite real uh to certain traditions in other words it's just a part of their tradition they would not think mm-hmm. of eating the food in a ceremony before on offering it to their ancestors first right it it, it yeah i've uh, um well jewish people light <coughs> excuse me jewish people light the um <coughs> a memorial candle on the day of the death of one of the seven closest relatives of the seven closest relatives, so your parents, your grandparents, um, your siblings, and your children. Cubans do the same thing, children. by the way. Yeah. Oh, we they do? The do? Yeah, we do the same thing. Uh, anniversary, like, for example, my mom passed away on March 7th of this year. Next year, we'll put a candle for her, the mm-hmm. day of her death. Uh, mm-hmm. And we also would do it for, like, the birthday of the person, which for her mm-hmm. would be a week apart from her death to her birthday. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, that, that's a tradition in Cuba also. But remember, there's a lot of Jewish people in Cuba. Oh yeah, we. I know. I yeah. mean, um, there a lot was of a my whole, family is Jewish, by the way. Well, there was a huh. whole Jewish community yeah. that was routed out of Cuba by mm-hmm. Castro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're called Jubins, by the way, Nancy. Jubins. <laughs> that's cute. Yep. Yeah, that's cute. Yeah. yeah. In fact, in the publishing industry, um, these two brothers, the Malauer brothers, <clears throat> had come from Cuba. Uh, and um, they became the mainstays of uh, production in the publishing industry in New York in the 1960s and, well, 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s. That's probably a true story. I'm going to go with that. It is. It is. Um, yeah, so <clears throat> um, I, I was trying to break in, and, and, I, and I've gotten punished for doing that. I cannot remember what I was dying to say five, <laughs> five seconds ago, and now I have a, like a frantic. But it, it was a good thing, and maybe it'll come back. But uh, Yeah, it's gone. But um, I've been learning about the weeds that grow on our property. Um, that you, and, and you're talking here about milk thistle. Okay, and I'm learning about the weeds that we have here. Okay, so I'm reading stuff as I go. Milk thistle. There are no bad plants. Okay, uh, and, and do um, have you ever seen the the movie called what was the name of that movie called? The plant one, the one with Stevie Wonder soundtrack. Um, this plant life. I'm trying to remember. Oh, the secret life. The of secret life of plants. Plant. The secret, secret life, life of plants, plants based yeah. on the book. 
Yeah, and right. and the and 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 did you did you guys see that? Did you see that oldest movie? I haven't seen the movie. I've heard the album and I've read the book. Okay, the movie is superb. Um, <clears throat> it's it's a three part. It's a, it's very much a work of art. So it's long. So the and the first part has all the great bursting of life. Uh, coming onto our planet. Uh, th- this this is something I forget who else did it besides Stevie Wonder. Who else is responsible? But uh, the second part is um, it weighs heavily on the work of uh, the fellow who who attached electrodes to plants. Uh, and uh, I'm losing his name. It begins with a B, I believe. Um, do you know who I'm talking about? The he you know he found out the plants could know ahead of time when brine shrimp were going to die right. in the room. Exactly. Side, and I can't yeah. think of the man's name. And, and, and our chat probably knows who I'm talking about. He's still alive. Not Clive. Clive Bex- Baxter. Yeah, Clive, Clive Baxter. 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 Right. Baxter. Baxter, yeah. And then the third part is all kind of uh, modern dance. Modern dance. And and Stevie Wonder did this, and it's so well paced to the. Uh, I don't know how he did the music since he's blind, and since it's paced perfectly to the. I thought anyway. he, I thought you said he danced, and I was like, that's even more impressive because he's blind. No, no, there was, a, but there was a beautiful dancer at the end who the whole. So it's it, you know you kind of have to be in the right mood for this movie, let's just say. Um, and for some people in some states, it's becoming easier. So. You're saying you have to be stoned, yeah, to watch yeah, the movie. Right. Pretty much, yeah, that's what well, you're saying there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of people who believe that Stevie Wonder is not blind, by the way. It's one of my favorite conspiracies. I don't know oh, really? if you've been there. Really? Really? Yeah. No, I've never heard. I've Google never it. Heard that's that. a first. That's a first for me, too. Well, I know that George that Bush definitely waved to him at one point. The, the, you can see that. There's a, a movie of it. He was waving to him. That is so cold-blooded, if that's true. <laughs> no, but it's just it was just that's... a mistake. You just, you know. Um, and, yeah, and, that says more about George Bush than yeah, Stevie Wonder. It's a Bushism. Still, like I yeah. say, Google it, and you'll find yeah. the whole Stevie Wonder is not blind issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, you also, I want to roll back to you asked me about my favorite non-psychoactive plant. Yes. Okay. Way. Yes. So, I believe that uh, tobacco is just this incredible medicinal plant. Mm-hmm. Uh and it actually grows wild in the Southwest. And I've got to say, one of my closest relationships has been with that wild tobacco down there. I have it's, had it. Uh, yeah, it's not necessarily for smoking in that sense, but it's used in the ceremonies. It's interesting how Native Americans have known how to use tobacco as part of ceremony, and you got to wonder because it's not like, oh, you smoke this and you get really high. However, it does alter consciousness, and it is it is psychically very important to most of these tribes for some reason. In the peyote ceremonies, tobacco is always present, for example. Mm-hmm. And it's actually considered, you know, more primary. Uh, you can have a peyote ceremony without peyote, as a matter of fact, but you can't really have it without tobacco. Tobacco starts the whole ceremony. Mm-hmm. And this little wild uh, desert tobacco is really powerful, I believe, as a well, as an offering. It's, it's fabulous, uh, protective in nature. I can only it, uh, I can only tell you it is fabulous. When we were filming uh, um, at the um, Archuleta Mesa on the Hickory Apache Reservation. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, one of our guides who we went up the uh, uh, mesa with, 
gave us this. And so I said, you know, I really stopped smoking many decades ago. He said, this is not like anything you've ever had. And I'm telling you, we just sat there and it was really enjoyable. Yeah, it's powerful. There's something about that plant that is very friendly. Uh, one of my other favorite plants is the uh, the sagebrush from the Great Basin. Mm-hmm. It's uh, what's traditionally used in like as a smudge mm-hmm. by a lot of people, mm-hmm. and it is an Artemisia. It's related to Artemisia vulgaris, which is commonly known as wormwood. Which you know, the thing about that plant, I wrote about that on my blog one year, which was that that plant has this connection to the dream world which is unreal. The, hmm. the fresh plant set by your bed or where you sleep will intensify dreams. It's just hmm. a fact. And these are the kind of things, like I'm saying, the synchronicities that you notice. That's what I, I mean, want that is not yeah, necessarily a synchronicity. It's not a coincidence that when you put this fresh herb by your bedside, all of a sudden you have dreams. I mean, maybe it is a coincidence, yeah. but I pay attention to that. Yeah, and that's, that's how that. people learn about plants. That's what I wanted that's to ask. That's what I call you. applied ethnobotany. Yeah, it works. Yeah, so, so talk about what you mean. Amazing. Yeah, talk about what you mean by using coincidences as tools. Yes. Yes. Talk about that a little. How do you do that? Well, <clears throat> things happen sometimes, apparently, for a reason, and we're the only connector between the supposed and the reason. Mm-hmm. Nobody else can like judge that but ourselves. Mm-hmm. I I like plants because they're primary teachers. You don't need to ask somebody else what message this plant has for you. Mm-hmm. So originally I used to harvest this Artemisia because it smells so good. Mm-hmm. And as a poor hippie, I knew people would pay me for the sage bundles. Right. And in fact, they did back in the day. I mean, before it became like a thing that you find in Whole Foods in a cellophane package. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was the kind of thing I would walk into a, a bookstore, you know, a magic shop, a health mm-hmm. food store, uh, and they would look at it and they would smell it and they'd say, oh, yeah, how much? And it was like an easy sale. Mm-hmm. So, you know, hippies noticed this kind of thing. That's a coincidence, too. Hey, I'm paying with this plant, playing with it, and now all of a sudden I have money to buy gas. That's kind of a coincidence. Well, the other coincidence that came around was that as soon as I would start harvesting this, I would have these intense, somewhat prophetic dreams, Mm. just intense. Mm. And I'm actually a little slow, and it took me a couple years to to figure that out. But uh, the thing I wrote about was that the second year of harvesting this sage, this thing happened where the plant actually screamed at me. It wasn't whispering anymore. Mm. It was like, wake up, guy. We're trying to tell you something. And it was this dream of this young lady I hadn't seen for years, and she was in this white bed, and she was laying down. And for some reason in my dream, I was insisting that she get up. I was worried about her. I'm like, get up, get up. And she says, no, 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 I can't. And I was like, please get up. And in my dream, I'm yelling when this sack of sagebrush bundles falls down in my hippie VW van, hits Mm -hmm. all the pots and pans, and wakes me up like, what? (laughs) Wow. And I'm still having this dream about this young lady in this white bed. And I'm like, what? And the person I'm with says, what's wrong? And I said, I just have this dream about uh, Laura. And 
I don't know. It was really intense. Something's weird about that. And the next day, I go into town to sell the sage, and I see this sign on the natural food store door that says, anybody who knows Laura, you know, please pray for her. She was in a car wreck, and she's in a coma. Wow. So... I yeah. have not thought of this young lady for a long time. The fact that she would pop into my dream that night, and I started making that connection. I'm like, wait a minute, because I was noticing my dreams were more intense every time I was up there picking the sage, and I just hadn't made the connection. Yeah. Well, yeah. after that, I started paying attention. So that was like a coincidence that led me to being able to use the sage purposefully if I right. you know, right. needed to. Right, and and if you're a person <clears throat> who, say, works with other people and you do a lot of talking, maybe you're a psychiatrist or something, coincidences can be asked for or said. I, I, I was um, just – I I wrote a thing called um, – I wrote a novel, but I put in into the novel this thing I called Street Mail, and people really warmed to this. This was one of the most – this is – I've gotten the most – mail about and stuff street mail and it i was just playing around saying when you walk looking down all the time which i like to do you see things all the time and these things are a message to you personally and i kind of created this whole little band of people who to this day talk to me about street mail they've found uh in which it's a message just to them. like you you pick a, a cart from the um for the supermarket and there's somebody else's note in there and you look at it and you and it's Ironic. It reminds you of something else, or it's just exactly what you need to find. And I think con artists can set that up and like trick you with it. But I think a real coincidence just shakes you to your to your very being when it happens. Well, I think the universe is a con artist, and it's the one tricking us. That's my and basic philosophy. To what extent? I was going to say tricking us into what? Well, into hopefully getting another piece of information about how it's not always how we think it is. I mean, coincidences are really great for that. I mean, why uh, are we why are break we set. why are we given brains in the first place if everything just goes away in 100 years? I mean, no matter how magnificent your life, no matter how, you know, long you think it is, it's nothing and um What's the point of having the brain? I, 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 do want, I say that sadly because I hope there's something afterward. Well, and that's what Thomas Edison would have said, that the life units that comprised your personality, the quanta of energy that, were, uh, 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 that manifested as you, that incarnated as you, they post-exist the body. Well, when you're in a drug, when you're talking to a drug, say a peyote, it's not your physical body that's doing the talking, actually. So that's hopeful, that something might be beyond your physical body, you know. Well, this goes back to our ancestors having a presence here. I really do believe that the difference between uh, the ones who have died and the ones who are still alive in terms of people is the ones who are still alive just still have a functioning brain for their consciousness to walk around in. But and the, that and consciousness the, yeah, yeah. is still embedded in the nature around us is the basic teaching that I've picked up just from coincidences. Uh, and I think this is why people eventually, you know, create all these crazy customs of like, uh, putting out food for the departed, you know, uh, lighting candles, uh, 
making breads and candies and taking them to the cemetery on Day of the Dead. I mean, these things actually do have an effect on our lives. And if you look at, let's just say, Chinese feng shui, I mean, a lot of that is how you align the elements in your environment to uh, harmonize with the fact that your ancestors' spirits are still kind of around and they want the best for you, and so a little recognition goes a long way. A lot well, of feng shui is like that. They, they decide, you know, where they're going to be buried, what hill would be best for them. Uh, I'm not so into that, but I am into the feng shui of life. You know, I do believe, like, the way we arrange the elements in our own life mm-hmm. has, like, a powerful spiritual effect, as a matter of fact. What you surround yourself with, what you choose to hear, right? Right. Like well, I was saying, the garden. The garden to me is a big feng shui thing in my life. At least I have that. That's like my fish aquarium when you walk in the Chinese restaurant, you know? Exactly. It's, uh, exactly. It's this, this, it's, this, it's this element of goodness that I can relate to and I can just be there and I feel different. And, how, how, uh, big, how Some big people, it's a fish aquarium. For me, it's a garden. I also... You know, I, I have art in my house because I like to look in a certain direction and see on my wall that there's something there that was made by somebody who I care about and it was made with love. And that's a certain feng shui that brings me a certain element. And uh, pictures of loved ones that aren't around anymore, that's that's a good example. You know, th- that person is not around in your body. But, boy, you look at the picture of somebody that has passed on and that you still love, there's like this powerful feeling that goes with that. And well, that's as sadness. mystical as I ever need to get. Yeah. I mean, that is like a contact experience. I don't need, you know, to see them as a ghostly outline. All I right. need to do is remember, and they pretty much exist at that moment. Right. And sadness is one form. That's the deepest form of love. And the ancestors loved us in some way or another. They they chose to be part of, I mean, you know, even if they were mean parents, um, they probably still stick around because for some reason, whoever we choose to be with and be born to and all that, I think is, you know, in the old Vonnegut way, it's a caress. You know, you have a caress and it's your, it's your family outside of your family. Um, but I wanted to do a couple of caress shout outs. Um, uh, um, White Crow, our friend at Belgab, has created a, a thing. He's been, He's been talking about this hoodie that he had designed and he is going to give to a few friends. And I, I hope he puts it for sale, but that's just one thing. Because I'm, I'm thinking the Carlos Cas. when I saw these hoodies, they're very elaborately embroidered. It's going to create a cult, a very, very uh, committed cult of ladies and men around White Crow after you guys see the hoodies. I'm just... Throwing that out there. What so, color are the hoodies? They're going to be black, I believe. With you know, because you know the concept of if if there's only one, it only takes one white crow to disprove forever that all crows are black. Right. To throw that one out, so it only takes one one white crow. That's where the white crow comes from. So though there's that, and another shout out to my brother who um, is the best gardener I know. Um, I don't know you personally, all this, and when I see your garden, I will then say, hmm, who is better? But how big is your garden? I wanted to ask you that. Well, right now where I'm living, I'm renting, and so I try to keep it small. I focus on doing this uh, take-downable straw bale method where you put up straw bales as retaining walls. Okay. You bring in soil, 
And I literally have actually moved soil with me when I've moved residences. You know? Wow, wow, that's committed. So, so that's it's not that big. But when I was living in Arizona, I had an acre garden. And wow. one guy can really only properly manage about half an acre is what I found out. Yeah. And doing that commercially is a lot of work, but you can pretty much make a living on half an acre of heirloom vegetables, you know, organically yeah. grown to your local market and or right. farmer's market. So it is a possible do, but I'm a little bit older now and I pretty much just micro garden. It's very easy to grow the amount of produce that you need. It doesn't take a lot of space. Well, it's not easy. It really is hard and it takes a lot of skill and you're probably teaching people who come by and say, how do you do this? But it's really, for, for those who can't, you know, I can't handle the disappointment, for example. Everything I ever plant, it gets eaten mm-hmm. by deer or it doesn't have, you know, it doesn't survive. The disappointment is intense. So it's not hard. I, I think it's very hard, Aldous. I don't think it's easy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, it doesn't take a lot of space. But, yeah, it's yeah. pretty hard. I'm standing next to a couple of tomatoes. It just got ravaged by tomato hornworms, you know. Yeah, and yeah. It's a really sad sight. It yeah. happens to the best of us. It's part of the thing. Well, my brother yeah. brought brought me some something called tansy this year. T a n s y. It's called here in the east, and it gets rid of so many vermin. Um, I, I have it hanging all over there. I, I dried it, and I have it, you know. But it's taken away. Tansy is a good thing, but I'm I'm known around here for a thing called jewelweed. Which do you know, have you ever heard of jewelweed? It's um, I've heard of jewelweed. Yeah, and I've been um, so I've been making a, a goo that will fix anything on your skin. It will soothe or fix anything with jewelweed and just coconut oil. So it's a speciality. And I yeah, have, well, I come from a I come from a pretty good community of people who make plant medicines. Yeah, and. And so I, I really do practice herbalism in a lot of ways, but fortunately I know enough people who make the medicines where I don't have to go too crazy myself. But my cabinet in my kitchen is, you know, probably more herbs than food put away. Yeah, cool, cool. That's part of the feng shui of my life is I make sure I have my plant friends around. Well, I'm just starting out that path, and that's why I wanted to talk to you. I'm glad to hear it can be a lifetime pursuit, and and the internet is great for teaching you about plants nowadays, pictures and stuff. And and we are coming up on wow. the top of the hour uh, of midnight. Correct. So we okay. Have so to, we have a, a little bit of business here. A little bit, but go ahead. A little bit. Well, of business. we want to um, next week. We want to. Uh, we're going to be talking to Bell Gabbers. Know her as Pony Boy Sunset. Soroya uh, has written a beautiful vampire novel, and um, she's well into the second book and we're going to talk about that and vampires we're going to do vampires next week and then we have people lined up all the rest of the um time and we'll do it week by week right we'll oh we have chase after soroya and then we'll let it go we'll make sure we'll right and then in uh just a few minutes if you're so kind just to stay uh, on the radio we will be hearing Chris, who was not on the show tonight, Chris Brown, and Jesse, right? On the show, Euphonauts. And do they have a guest? Yes, and they have a guest. Euphonaut Radio with Jesse Randolph and Chris Brown, and their guest tonight is the one and only Rich Giordano. 
Uh, Rich Giordano. Good. Oh, that should yeah. be that should be so crazy. That's just that. crazy city. And, and by the way, the show should be three hours. So just saying. I concur, but I don't have three hours. And, and, uh, uh, tomorrow, tomorrow, uh, Future Theory will rerun on the Dark Matter Digital Network, and it will o'clock. be followed by Heather Wade's Midnight in the Desert. That's so right. uh, if you are joining us tomorrow night, if this is Tuesday, even though it's Monday right now and you're listening to the show, stay tuned for Heather Wade and Midnight in the Desert. And it is midnight, so um, for everybody out there, I want to thank Aldous Burbank for joining us. You're welcome. Nice welcome. talking to you all again. It's really a pleasure. Wonderful talking to you. Uh, and to everybody else out there, uh, as we enter late July, my favorite time of the year, uh, have a wonderful week. We are your co-host, Bill, that's me, and Nancy. Good night, everybody. We're saying good night from the banks of Primrose Creek in beautiful downtown Salisbury Village, Pennsylvania. And we will see everybody next week on Future Theater Live on PSN Radio. And the Dark Matter Digital Network. See you next week.